So I'd love for you to open your Bibles this morning, and we're going to dig into God's Word. And I believe that His Word is going to wake things up in you that need to be woken up. It's going to make things alive, create things in you that need to be created. Because you know what? I don't have everything I need. You don't have everything you need, but He does. And uh, His Word plants things in us. In fact, Jeremiah 1 says His Word first plucks things up in our life. It, it overthrows things. It tears them down. It destroys things that need to be destroyed so that now something can be built and planted in our life. Mm-hmm. There are things that need to be planted in your life that you don't have yet. Yeah. Right. Amen? And you know, one of the wonderful things about receiving the, the word from God, when God speaks, how many of you know how that goes? When he speaks, creation came into existence. Right. Yeah. When he spoke, light was. And so when he says to you today, be this or do this, it's not just merely a command where you just try your best and do your, do your hardest, you know, try your hardest and see what you can do. But no, when he says it, it will create in you what needs to be there. You know, we've said this so many times, but when God said to Joshua, be strong and courageous, strength and courage filled Joshua. Right. Amen. Amen. So today, when the Lord says, be strong and courageous, you don't have to go, okay, I'm going to try my best to be strong. Okay, I'm going to try my best to be courageous. No, when you, say, when you hear him say, be strong and courageous, you say, yeah, I received that. I'm strong today. I'm courageous today. Because, not because I, I have it in me, but because the Lord said it. And when God says it, things are created. Amen. Amen. Jesus didn't say, Lazarus, you're such a bum. Your sisters have been waiting for hours, days for you to get up out of the grave. Can you just quit being a drama king already? Why don't you just, Lazarus was dead for four days and, and Jesus didn't say, come on, man, I've taught you about resurrection. Why haven't learned it yet? No, when he said, Lazarus, come forth, the word of the Lord brought Lazarus to life. So I believe the word of the Lord can bring you to life this morning. You don't, get, you don't have to bring yourself. God's word will bring you forth. And so let's look in the Bible here. We're going to look, first of all. I want to read something to you from 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. We've been talking about the, the best news that the world has ever got. A fallen world, a broken world, a world under curse, a world under the dominion of Satan received the best news ever through the resurrection of Jesus Christ when the church announced on the day of Pentecost by the Spirit of God that God has made Jesus to be both Lord and Christ. And that declaration that Jesus is Lord echoed throughout all of creation. I mean, it echoed throughout galaxies you're not even aware of. But that, Because Jesus is not just Lord over this little planet, right? He's Lord over all. And so that word went out and that word uh, went forth and our, our earth was redeemed and, and we were redeemed. And now we're in this wonderful time where we get to choose, yes, you're, Lord, you're my Lord. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to follow you. Because, you know, you look around and you go, well, if everything changed, I don't see it. You know, I, I don't see a world that's perfect yet. I don't see a world that's redeemed. I see a broken world. I see broken people. Why isn't it all better then? If Jesus made it all better, why isn't it better? Well, the reality is this. The Bible says one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One day the earth will be rolled up like a scroll and he will create a new heaven and a new earth where he will rule with a rod of iron and there will be no war anymore. And the lion and the lamb will lay down together and the child will stick his hands in the snake's nest and not be afraid. And there will not be battling nations, but everyone will proclaim him Lord and King. When that day comes, everything's going to be perfect. And we've talked about this before. This is not a new thing I'm saying to you, but that's why we talk about heaven and we talk about this amazing reality in heaven. It's not because it's fantasy land. Heaven is not just, you know, God's version of Disney World, you know, where it's just like, I'm going to put a bunch of rides and experiences and, and garbage food that you can eat. No, I mean, heaven is perfect, and the new heaven and the new earth will be made right and will be perfect, not because God somehow says, well, I'll do it better this time, because because the earth as it was created was created good. Good means perfect to God. He called it good. What broke it was sin. So what's going to redeem it 
is, thank God, sin's going to be dealt with Amen. once and for all. And the reason heaven is so great is because God's will is always done in heaven. Yeah. It's because Jesus is Lord. Yeah. And that's why the new heaven and the new earth will be perfect, because God's will will be done. There won't be sin. There won't be rebellion. There won't be death. And so everything is right. So you might say, well, then I want that now. Yeah, me too. But the Bible tells us that Jesus is not slow about his promise to return, but he's patient because he wants people to come to repentance. He wants people to freely choose him as Lord. We have this opportunity right now, and it's a short glimpse. It might feel like a long time to you because we've only lived in this reality. But to God, a thousand day, a thousand years are just like a day. That's how fast it goes. And so he says, Peter says, God does not count time like we count time. And so for us, it feels like a long time we're having to wait for him to return. But for him, he's not being slow. He's being patient. And we have this wonderful season where we get to declare Jesus is Lord. And we get to announce it, not just like, hey, have you heard? Not just as good news, even though it is, but also a declaration that changes the very atmosphere when we say it. Jesus is Lord. And so you get to bow your knee freely. Nobody's forcing you. Nobody's compelling you. You get to choose. Yes, I'm going to bow my knee, but something happens when you do. And so we've been talking about that. Last week we talked about the the, the reality of when the Holy Spirit came in the church, how uh, this declaration that when the Spirit of uh, the Bible says where the Spirit is Lord or where the Spirit of the Lord is, you can translate it either way, there is freedom. And so there's a freedom in saying that Jesus is Lord. There's a freedom in proclaiming him Lord. And that freedom is through the Spirit. And I want to read you this this, uh, passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So while you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. In other words, they, they, they weren't real. They didn't have any power. And you might say, well, here in our culture today, we don't, you know, we're, we're a largely um, pluralistic society. Some people serve other gods, but some people don't believe in God at all. And what if I'm an atheist? What if I'm an agnostic? I don't serve any idols. I don't serve any gods. And yet that's not true. We just call them different names. Yeah. I mean, uh, the, the ancient Greeks and Romans and Babylonians and Persians, like they had the same desires that people have today. The same broken world we live in today, they lived in too. They just named their gods and goddesses where we, we just think they're part of life. You know, they named their god of wealth. They named their god of drunkenness. They named their god of sex. We still chase the same things. They just had names for them. They just made images of them. They just personified them. But, but we still serve those. Our, our culture still serves those things. They're in bondage to those very things. And Jesus came to set us free. Now, he says, you are, you were led astray to mute idols. Now, why is, it, why is he saying they're mute idols? You know, God throughout the Old Testament never rarely misses an opportunity to mock the idols. You see it when Elijah stood up on Mount Carmel. You see it when David speaks of, of, of the gods that other people serve. You see it in Jeremiah. You see it in Isaiah. They, God loves to take the opportunity to mock false idols and say, isn't this stupid? Don't you realize how silly this is? And so I, I love in Jeremiah where it says he's talking about the silliness of the gods that you carve because his people, God's people, he's not even talking to the the uh, nations around them, but, but the nation of Israel, he tells them, you guys have gone off and worshipped gods that you carved, like false idols that you carved with your own hands. And he goes, don't you think it's silly that you go out into the woods and you chop down a tree and you take half the tree and you say, I'm going to burn it in the fire. This will keep me warm and I'll bake my bread over it. Then he says, and you take the other half and you carve a face on it. And you put it up and you go, save me. He goes, that's not stupid to you? You got this from Walmart. You're not, you don't think that's a problem? He goes, it can't. And he goes, this God can't talk. It can't hear you. It can't see. And the psalm says, those that worship him will become just like them. Well, you say, "Uh uh-oh, is he saying I'll go blind or I'll go deaf? No, he's not talking about physical blindness and physical death and physically mute. 
It's talking about the fact that you were created in the image of God. Of all the creatures that God put on the planet, you're the one who was created in his likeness with a living spirit. And so while animals can sense things with their physical senses, you've been given something they don't have. You should be able to see the things of the spirit. You should be able to hear the voice of God. You should be able to speak with, a, with an authority that creates because you were created by the creator in his likeness. And so when we serve gods that can't speak, that can't see, that can't hear, you become like them. You lose your ability to hear. You lose your ability to see. You lose your, your power to speak. Why? You become just like the animals. And that's what happens to a fallen humanity. But Jesus came to redeem it. And so he says, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Everybody could have been led a different way. There was a different way you found yourself there, but that's what happened. But watch what he says here. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. Mm -hmm. So the Holy Spirit will never lead you to blaspheme Jesus, right? Because the Holy Spirit always brings the attention back to Jesus and always glorifies God, right? And so he says, nobody speaking by the Spirit of God will ever say Jesus is accursed. Then he says, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, think about that. Think about that statement. Nobody can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You might say, well, well I don't know if that's true because... I could have a parrot at home and teach my parrot, Jesus is Lord, Jesus is Lord. Does that mean my parrot is now full of the Holy Spirit? <laughs> I could teach Siri or Alexa to say Jesus is Lord. Is my, is my robot saved in my house? You know, uh, what about if somebody, if I just paid someone $500 to say Jesus is Lord on the street, does that mean I filled them with the Holy Spirit? No, no it doesn't. So, so we must mean more than just speaking the words empty, Right? Must mean more than that. Don't you, do we agree about that? There must be more to it than just simply echoing some empty words. It must be a true confession. It must be something that's coming from a real place. He says, not just by the Spirit of God, but except in the Spirit, we say, Jesus is Lord. We gladly and joyfully embrace it. We, we confess it, not just as a statement of fact, but as, as something we are truly thankful for. You know, one of the most important uh, passages in the New Testament is, is in Romans 10, one of the ones that many of you know by heart. Uh, he quotes the Old Testament when Moses said to the people, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. And he quotes, Paul quotes it and says, yes, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That's the word of faith that we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised them from the dead, you will be saved. For the mouth one confesses, resulting in righteousness. With a heart one believes, resulting in justification. Mm -hmm. Well, praise God, that's awesome. But I want to ask you a question. If it's just about empty words, or if it's just about a prayer of just acknowledging these things are true, couldn't the devil pray that prayer? Because does the devil know that Jesus is Lord? Does the devil... Confess that Jesus is Lord. He hates it. He has to say it, but he doesn't want to. He knows he's dominated. He knows he's been overpowered. He knows he's been overthrown. He hates that Jesus is Lord, yet he knows he is. The demons even cried out to Jesus and said, we know you're the Holy One of God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They, they know how to say those words. In fact, they hate it, but they say it. Does the devil believe that God raised Jesus from the dead? Yeah, he witnessed it. It was a really bad day for him. It's one he wishes he could forget. <laughs> Believe me, he believes it. Well, does he believe it with his heart? Well, see, this is the key, isn't it? What does it mean to believe in your heart? It doesn't just mean to believe it deeper than your mind. Because when a lot of times when the scripture says from the heart or in the heart, it's talking about a place of truth, a place of reality, a place of... Uh, of We've embraced it with everything we have. Uh, in, in Romans chapter 6, Paul talks about the, the, the fact that you were slaves to sin mm -hmm. and how now you've been made free because of Jesus. 
and you've been made slaves of righteousness, which means you, your life is, is now for God's purposes. But he says, like, coming out of that slavery, and he says, I'm using terms you understand. Why? Because the culture he was talking about was a culture of slavery, all right? So he says, I'm, I'm speaking this way not because it's the most perfect metaphor, but because it's one you'll understand. But he says, now you've come out of slavery, you've come into freedom. When you say Jesus is Lord to an un, 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 unregenerated, unsaved mind, Saying Jesus is Lord just sounds like I went from having no boss to having a boss. And we go, that's the opposite of freedom. Freedom is when I'm the boss. But the Bible tells us very clearly, you were tricked. You were tricked. In fact, it says here, you were serving mute idols, right? You didn't know. You, you thought you were serving yourself. But in fact, we read it a couple weeks ago. You were just walking a course laid out by the oldest trick in the book, thinking you're doing your own thing. You're walking down the path. Billions of people have walked before you, just following a path laid out by Satan himself. And Paul says this, you were slaves to the very things that you kept doing. Jesus said it as well. Jesus said it. The apostles said it. When you go back and you keep doing things, he goes, you're a slave to that thing. Mm -hmm. Jesus said, you guys are slaves. The, the, the Hebrew people said, we've never been slaves. Like, that wasn't a big part of their history. <laughs> like, they don't celebrate every year coming out of slavery. We've never been slaves to anyone. Wow, okay, selective memory. But he goes, yeah, you're slaves to sin. You keep committing the same, you keep going back to the same things. Right. Well, Paul says that too. We were slaves to it. We had to do it. We kept going back to it. You know, every human being that's ever lived on this planet, except for Jesus Christ himself, every human being that's ever walked in sin, ever lived in sin, which is all of us, before we were set free, has been an addict. Right? Now, you might not have been addicted to a substance, some people have, have walked through that chemical addiction. You've been, you've been addicted to a drug or, or a, a, alcohol or something else. You were addicted to something in that sense. But every human being that I've ever encountered has walked through addiction because sin itself is addiction. And it has the same pattern, and you'll recognize it, right? The Bible says that sin has pleasure for a moment, but in the end it leads to destruction. So how many times do we see that pattern? The first time it's, wow, this is nice. and This feels good or this is, uh, this is freedom. Then you need more than you needed before. And then you need more than you needed before. And now you don't want to do it, but you can't quit. Pretty soon, it's not serving you. You're serving it. You might say, well, I don't know. I never walked through addiction. Absolutely you have. Because whether or not you've been addicted to a substance or you've been addicted to the plethora of other sin that we've all walked through. Yeah. Greed and lying and sexual immorality and pride and all these other things. Yeah. They start out having a taste to them. Right. And then they get you. Right. And Paul says that's the trap we've all been walking in. But Jesus set us free. So that you're not a slave to that anymore. And now you freely, as a free person, can say Jesus is Lord and present yourself as a servant, as a slave of righteousness and say, use my life, Lord. So he says saying Jesus is Lord is not slavery. Saying Jesus is Lord is freedom. And he tells you that nobody could say that without the Spirit of God working in you. So the Holy Spirit was at work in you when you first got born again. Thank you, Lord. You didn't do that all by yourself, right? The Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was, was the driving force behind that. Thank God you had to make up your mind. You had to decide. Somebody had to preach to you, right? You had to hear. But it was the Holy Spirit that did the work, the transforming work. But now, what about the rest of your life? Because the rest of your life is a life of proclaiming Jesus is Lord. Amen. With your words, with your life, with your thoughts. Every day you are proclaiming Jesus is Lord. I'm not Lord anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Money's not Lord over me. Uh, my, 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 my lust for this or my desire for that or my greed for this or my jealousy for that or my anger about this. None of those things rule my life anymore. Now Jesus is Lord. Powerful. But how do I live that life every day? The same way that it says here. Nobody could say Jesus is Lord. 
except in the Spirit. Well, nobody can live out Jesus as Lord except by the Spirit. You can't live a life of Jesus as Lord without the Holy Spirit in you. Right? Do we believe this? Yeah. Okay, if you don't, we'll get there. All right? There's time on the clock. We can get you there by the end. There is something that happened to us when we were born again, and it's something that you could never replicate, you couldn't will up, you couldn't work up, but it is something that continues to work in you. I want you to know resurrection life was at work when you were born again, but resurrection life is at work in you right now. And what is the spirit? Who did the resurrection work? The Bible says if the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. So it's the spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's the spirit that works resurrection in you even right now. And so those that are full of the spirit can say Jesus is Lord and can live Jesus is Lord because it's the Holy Spirit working in you. Now, when you step out and you, and you just say, well, thank God the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you, forsake you. The Holy Spirit is your pledge of adoption, so he doesn't just run off and come back when you get better. No, the Holy Spirit is there, but the Bible does tell us you need to stay filled with the Spirit. The more filled I am with myself, the more filled I am with the things of the world, well, the, probably the less filled I am with the Holy Spirit. So I want to be more full of him. And let everything else get pushed out of the way. And when I'm full of the Holy Spirit, now I proclaim Jesus is Lord, not just as an empty phrase. Yeah. The demons know Jesus is Lord and they hate right. it. So I don't go, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> I say, well, you know what? I'm trying to be a Christian. Going to church with you guys. There's a lot of stuff I had to change. Man, I'm not enjoying this. If that's your life, can I tell you, there's freedom God has for you today. If you're sitting here going, man, I miss what I used to do. I know I'm saved now, and this is what we're supposed to do. If that's your life, you're not living in the freedom God called you to live. Because the Bible says this in Philippians chapter 2. Work out the salvation that's in you. Live out the salvation that's already in you. And do it, take it, take it seriously. It says with fear and trembling. That, that doesn't mean to be scared. It means that you are, you know, whoa, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Because it is God who is working in you. Well, how is God working in you? By his spirit. It is God who is working in you both. And there's two things God's doing in you. The first thing is he says to will. He's working on your will so that you want to do, you want what God wants, that your will and God's will are working together, right? God is working on your will, both to will, to want to do what he wants you to do, and to do what pleases him. So he wants your will to please him and your action to please him. So if you're living a Christian life where you're saying, I don't want to do this, but I know I got to do this, well, thank God you're halfway there. But God's desire for you is that you begin to want what he wants, that you desire what he desires, that it is joyfully serving the Lord, that you're saying, man, I'm so glad we get to do this together. Thank you, Lord, that today I get to walk out the plan of God in my life. If you're stuck right now and you're saying, it's a struggle, then I want to tell you that's a war that needs to be won. And that's a war that Jesus has already won. And that's a war that is won by the Spirit, not by your willpower, not by your, well, if I just try a bit harder, if I have the right accountability partner. Thank God for accountability. But ultimately, it's the work of the Spirit in your life that's going to set you free. Because if you walk by the Spirit, the Bible says, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Your answer is not, I hate the flesh, I hate the flesh, I hate the flesh. Your answer is, I love the Spirit. And when you love the Spirit and you walk by the Spirit, you're not going to fulfill those desires. You're not going to want what you used to want. Your tastes change. Your craving changes. You begin to crave Him. That doesn't mean you'll never be tempted in your life. It never means you'll never come against a time where you're going to have to fight the fight of faith. But it does mean that there is power in the Spirit of God. I want to remind you what the Scripture says that... that, uh, uh, his power is perfected yep. in our weakness. Right. It, it doesn't say his power draws the attention away from our weakness, no. but it is perfected. If you will say, where I was weak, I am now strong by the strength of God. That's where the power is. So he says here, nobody could say it. You couldn't confess Jesus is Lord. You can't live Jesus is Lord 
except in the Holy Spirit. So the devil knows Jesus is Lord, but he hates it. We say Jesus is Lord, and we joyfully embrace it. We say thank God for it. Our whole heart, we believe with our whole heart, he's risen from the dead, therefore I'm risen from the dead. There's something about it where I am saying I am so thankful Jesus is Lord. It's a glad embrace. Because the Bible says every knee, one day, everybody will, will have to bow. And some will bow against their will. But you, you get to bow now for free. And enjoy the benefit of it. Do you know even those kings of the earth that took their stand against the Lord in, the, in that battle that's described in the end of Revelation. And he shows up king of kings and lord of lords and, and they're fighting against him and, and the battle's already been decided before it even happens. Even they, even they, even the ones that rebelled against God because we were those people too will be glad in the Lordship of Christ. You know, that's the problem is we rebel against the very thing that's going to save us. Yep. And so the world is in rebellion against the very thing that would set them free. But we don't have to be that way. That's right. I, I want to show you some things right here in the, in the scripture, particularly in the book of Acts. These will be familiar, just a couple of passages that will be very familiar to you because they're, they're a great um, inspiration for the church today. So in the last two weeks, we talked about the day of Pentecost, where the church was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. And it was awesome. The church was filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak with other tongues. They had boldness. And what was, what was the thing that they proclaimed? Peter got up and proclaimed that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Messiah prophesied by Scripture, and that he's, he's not, that the people that he's talking to are the ones that killed him, but he's offering forgiveness, right? And then he says, and this is a powerful phrase, I don't want you to skip it, but he says, and now God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Yeah. Both Lord and Messiah. So he's saying Jesus is the Messiah you've been waiting for, and he's Lord over all the earth. So when the church got full of the Holy Spirit, what do they proclaim? Jesus is Lord. Yes. When, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house, and he proclaims the, 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 the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he, it says he proclaims this, Jesus, he is Lord over all. Mm -hmm. And when he gives that message... The Bible says that all of Cornelius' house, in other words, his family, his employees, his soldiers that work for him, everybody is filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues. So there is this, this union of the Spirit proclaiming the Lordship of Christ. And, and they go together. When we are filled with the Spirit, we live out Jesus is Lord. When we're filled with the Spirit, we can say Jesus is Lord with power, but we can live Jesus is Lord with power. Amen. And so I want you to see what happens when the church gets filled. In Acts chapter 2, they've got freshly full of the Holy Spirit. They've never been baptized in the Holy Spirit before, never received the Holy Spirit. This is new for them. 3,000 people got saved in one day. So a group of 120 grew to 3,120. And then here's what happens in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And when you read those passages, we read them and go, that's awesome. What, a, what an inspiration for the church. We should be more like that. But I want you to think about it. In, in those few passages, that directly followed the church being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. This stuff began to happen. What, what are we seeing happen? We're seeing the lordship of Christ over the church, right? Their whole life changes. You can't read that passage and imagine anything in their life stayed the same. 
Maybe some things. I mean, they probably still had the same jobs, you know. They might have had, they had the same house. They had the same kids. But, like, uh, the, the very fabric of their life was turned upside down. Their schedule was completely different, right? Every day. They're doing this together. They're breaking bread together. They're, they're eating together. They're sharing together. They're devoting themselves to teaching, to prayer, to the word, to fellowship. They are, they are going to the temple together. They're seeing signs and wonders. They've got a sense of awe. I mean, all of this is happening not because somebody said, okay, quick, we got to fix the church real fast. I mean, it's new. It's, it's, it, we have to have a seminar. 50 keys. 50 keys in 50 days. Come on, guys, get your notebooks out. Do it or you're kicked out. Do it or you're out. No, something happened. I'm sure there was teaching because it says there was. But there was something happening that came from the very depths of them. Jesus is not just Lord in their mouths. He's Lord in reality. He's Lord over their time. He's Lord over their material. He's Lord over their food. He's Lord over their land. He's Lord over everything. He's Lord over their hearts. He's Lord over their relationships. He's Lord over how they attend the temple. He's Lord over how they receive the word. He's Lord how they eat. Everything's different. That's because they're full of the Holy Spirit. And not only are they full of the Holy Spirit, but they're doing what they know to do. They're walking it out by the Spirit. And so you look at them and you go, well, obviously they're different than the rest of us. If you lived, if these were your neighbors and you looked at them and went like, what changed in your life? They've had a, a coup happen. A radical overthrow of government has taken place. And all of a sudden, a new king is in town and the whole culture shifted. And all the laws changed. And, and everything's different. And now everything's glorious. Jesus is Lord. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing this work in them. And so I want you to see that you can't, Truthfully, you can't truthfully say or heartfully say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. And you can't live it out without the Holy Spirit. And so in those times, friends, in those times where we are battling between I, I, I'm struggling to do the things that I'm, I know the Lord wants me to do, but these are the things I want me to do, then, then what we're seeing, yes, is a battle of lordship. Am I Lord or is Jesus Lord? But I want you to know that, that there is a freedom in the Spirit. When you let the Holy Spirit fill you again, and you live by the Spirit, that it's not hard to say Jesus is Lord. It's joyful. It's not hard to serve the Lord. It's joyful. What did Jesus say? Come to me, all you who are weary, all you who are heavy laden. Come to me, and I will give you rest for your souls. Learn from me. He says, take my yoke upon me, upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and humble in spirit. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We talked about this two weeks ago, I think, where we said, you know, when you read the Gospels and Jesus says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, we know that, you know, yoking with Jesus, we're, we're, we're taking, we're, we're we're yoking up. We're coming alongside him. He's taking the burden. But in, in, in their culture, a lot of times, the, the idea of taking on the yoke of your rabbi meant you were taking on their standard of teaching. You were taking on their instructions. So if your rabbi said, these are the parts of the law we need to follow, and this is how we follow them, to, you would take that rabbi's yoke upon you, and you would say, that's okay, I'm going to do what you say. And so Jesus said, your rabbis have put on a burden you can't even lift. They can't even look, and they won't even help. He says, you don't, he talked to them, and he said, you teachers, you scribes, you put a burden on people's backs they can't lift, and you don't even lift a finger to help them. And so then Jesus tells them, well, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But then he says things like, you've heard the law say, love your neighbors, you love yourself. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Love those that hate you. Love those that persecute you. And you go, your yoke is light, Jesus? Because that sounds harder than what we were doing. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I tell you this, someone smacks you on the cheek, turn your other cheek. I tell you, if they tell you to walk a mile, walk an extra mile. I tell you, if they ask you for your coat, give them the other garment as well. You're like, hey, Jesus. Thought this was supposed to be easier. Thought this was supposed to be 
rules light. And yeah, he got, he got rid of the dumb extra laws that the human beings had added. Thank God for that. Amen. <laughs> he got rid of the bondage of religion. And yet he called us to live a way that other people weren't living. How is that light? Come to me. Come to me. Not do this on your own. Don't try this on your own. Come to me. We see something happen when the Spirit of God fills the church. They're not having to do it. They want to do it. Because God is at work in them both to will and to do. And God wants to work on your will and your life so you don't say, oh, man, i got to do it. But you love serving the Lord. You love following Jesus, that it is is part of who you are. In Acts chapter 4, the background of this is they're afraid. They've been threatened. They've been um, told that if they don't stop preaching in the name of Jesus, that there's going to be consequences. The implication is you're going to die. So Peter and John, two of the boldest guys in the group, the two that at least showed up for the trial of Jesus, although Peter kind of ended on a bad note. The two that ran and saw the grave empty after the women had been there already. There's always an asterisk with these guys, but come on, give them a benefit. Peter, the one that stood up and spoke on behalf of the 11. Peter and John, the ones that walked and saw the man at the gate of the temple healed and then proclaimed at the very portico of Solomon, at the very courtyards of the temple, proclaimed Jesus is the Messiah in the backyard of the people that wanted them dead. Bold people, and yet they come back to the church and they ask, let's pray for boldness. You don't pray for something you just think you got an abundance of, right? They're praying because they need it. They say, we need to pray. And so they pray and they, they remind themselves and they speak to God about the fact that he already knew this was going to happen, that nothing's escaped his attention, that, that it's normal that the kings of the earth are taking their stand. That's what he said would happen. But they say, now, Lord, grant your servants boldness that we might speak your word with all boldness and clarity and extend your hand to heal and do signs and wonders and mighty deeds to the name of your servant Jesus. And it says here in Acts chapter 4, when they prayed, this is verse 31, The place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, they've all been filled with the Holy Spirit, but they needed to be filled again. They didn't lose the Holy Spirit, amen? They didn't lose the Spirit, but sometimes you need to be filled again, right? doesn't mean you lost the Spirit. It just means that you might have let that, that level go down a little bit. You haven't been relying on the Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continue to speak the Word of God with boldness, now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. The full number. That means no, there were no cliques that weren't part of this. Everybody was of one heart and one soul. Why? Because the Spirit of God brings unity. Isn't that right? The Holy Spirit will bring unity. The Holy Spirit will b- put people together. It's the flesh that divides us. It's the Spirit that unites. And so the result of the Holy Spirit is they're one heart, one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He's Lord and he's risen. Amen. That's the message of the early church. We have a risen Lord. He died. He rose. He ascended. He sent the Spirit. He's coming again. That's the message. And he is Lord over all. And so they proclaim the risen Lord with boldness. And great grace was upon them all. Hey, great grace. Our English word great, sometimes we don't use it the way that we're meant to use it here. When they say great grace, we're not talking Tony the Tiger. It's great grace. It's really good grace, top level stuff. No, great, we're meaning it's massive. Like the Great Barrier Reef. You're not like, this is the best barrier reef I've ever seen. It's a really good barrier reef. When you say it's the Great Barrier Reef, it's, it's massive, right? So when we're talking about great grace, we're talking about massive, gigantic, overwhelming grace was upon their pastors. No. Was upon just the apostles. No. It was upon them all. Yeah. 
And this is a work of the Spirit. Now remember what the grace of God is. What is the grace of God? The grace of God is His power in your weakness. The grace of God is His ability in your inability. The grace of God is God doing for you, through you, around you what you could never do on your own. So when you were saved, what did the grace of God do? Jesus paid the price you couldn't pay, died the death you couldn't die, lived the life you couldn't live, died the death you couldn't die, rose again on your behalf, said, you're raised with me. Uh, His mercy, thank God, took your sin and his grace gave you a new life. And yet, that's not all that the grace of God affords us. As the scripture tells us, today as I'm preaching, it's the grace of God working through me. I'm not qualified to do this. It's the grace of God. It's God's strength in my weakness. Paul said, I'm not qualified to be an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace is not wasted on me, for I worked harder than everyone else. But it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working through me. So Paul says this when he struggled, one of the great struggles in his life, one of the greatest times of distress that he went through and he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord's response was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfected. It's perfected. It's made perfect in your weakness. So he says, therefore, I I will say where I am weak, he is strong. I'm no longer hiding my weakness. I'm saying, Lord, show yourself strong here. Hey, I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of what he goes. I'm actually glorying in my weakness. He says, I will brag about the parts where I wasn't a good preacher. I wasn't a good this. I wasn't a good that. But God is doing this work and he's awesome. So his grace is powerful on our behalf. So when great grace is upon us all, that means that the church is not going, we have to do all this stuff, and I don't know how we'll do it. Maybe if we get a committee, then we can get the committee to force people to do it and really make them feel guilty, because if they don't make them feel guilty, they won't do it. No, there is like a power at work. People are freely giving up what they have. They're sharing with those that have need. The Bible says great grace was upon them all. Look at the next verse. For there was not one needy among them. Have you ever seen a government program that can do that? No. <laughs> Doesn't exist. There's no social program, there's no government program that can completely eradicate poverty. But this is what happened in the church. There wasn't one needy among them. For as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and bought the proceeds, brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Why? It's great. Grace was on them. And great grace was on them because Jesus is now not just Lord over the door of the church, not just Lord on your website statement of faith, not just Lord of what you say because you're supposed to say it, but he's Lord over everything. And Jesus is Lord in reality when we're living by the Spirit. Because you can't say Jesus is Lord and you can't live Jesus is Lord without the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible tells us in Galatians, the fruit of the flesh is obvious. The fruit of Jonathan is Lord looks like this. Strife, jealousy, envy, bitterness, clamor, carousing, drunkenness, all these things. That's what the scripture says. The fruit of you living your own way looks like this. It's obvious. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of living in the Spirit. Now, you guys know fruit comes natural to the tree. Yes? You don't? How many of you have to go to your backyard and lecture your trees? How many of you have to go give a seminar on how to produce fruit? No, you, you know it will produce. Now, I'm not, now, teaching is good. God uses teaching to put things in us that will grow. It's, the teaching is the seeds itself a lot of times. But what I'm telling you is you don't talk a tree into producing fruit. An orange tree doesn't decide to produce apples. An orange tree will produce oranges. When we're living by the Spirit, fruit will come out of it. Amen. When we're living by the flesh, fleshly stuff comes out of it. And so when we live by the Spirit, we live a life that, that everybody can look at and go, Jesus is Lord. Because look at that, Jesus is Lord. The Lordship of Christ in our life is evidenced by the fruit of our life, and that's coming by the Holy Spirit. So I want you to see, if you're seeing anything this morning, it's this, 
that not only do I want you to say Jesus is Lord because that's what Christians say, I want you to know this is a reality for your life and it can be a reality where we're not just like, like the devil who has to say Jesus is Lord. The devil is compelled to say Jesus is Lord and he hates it. But believers joyfully, we get to joyfully say Jesus is Lord. We get to proclaim it. We get to live it. We get to celebrate it. When we live it out, he is at work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. You think about it. Paul's statement there in Philippians 2 is work it out because it's God working in you. So am I working or is God working? The answer is both. You know, when you, when you drive your car down the highway, you know, I hope everybody here knows this, that it is not the power of your leg. Like you use your arm to put it in a drive and you put, use your foot to press on the gas pedal, but you know that it's not the power of your leg that's moving your car that fast, right? You're not like, how fast did you go? Because I did leg day today. <laughs> I'm feeling pumped up. Watch how fast I can go. Like... Your legs, not your, the force of your foot on that gas pedal is not moving your car 110 kilometers down the highway, right? No, 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 no. If it weren't for an engine that's got combustion, if it weren't for a force beyond yourself, you are engaging that force, but it is a force that is far beyond you. It's going a lot faster than you can run. It's going a lot faster than you could walk. It's going faster than you can push the vehicle, right? You get out and try to push the vehicle. See how fast you go. That's living life by your flesh. That's living life in your own strength. See how fast down the highway you go. But when you say, no, I'm putting it in drive, and I put my foot on the gas, I'm not under the illusion that I'm making my car go fast. I know there is a force in this vehicle that I'm engaging. There's a, there's a combustion. There's, an ex, there's a, explosions taking place. There is something being burned. There is something forcing this thing along. Exerting force I don't have, right? And so this is what's happening in the spirit. When I engage my will and I say Jesus is Lord and I believe it and I confess it and I'm going to live it, then what God does is he engages with you and he's at work in your will. So the first time, remember, I quoted Romans 6 to you. Anybody here read Romans 7? Yeah, if, I respect that you're not going to lie to me. <laughs> I was like, no, I know, I know, I know. Because you know what? Some guest speakers will ask you, and then they'll ask you to quote a specific verse, and then you're embarrassed. But no, Romans 7 talks about this battle, doesn't it? This struggle. What I want to do, I don't do. The things I hate to do, I end up doing. I want to do this thing. My mind wants to do this. My flesh wants to do this. I want to serve the Lord. My flesh wants to serve itself. And ah. Uh, and he goes, oh, wretched man am I. Who will deliver me from this body of death? That's Paul in his emo stage. That's Paul in his dark period. Do you know Romans is a letter? It's not, it's not a collection of essays. It's one letter, right? So you don't stop Romans 7 at Romans 7. You keep reading. And if you were to stop it, woe is me. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You go, oh, no. But it's like stopping at the cross and not getting to the resurrection. Because by the time, you get to, by the time it ends, it goes, but thanks be to God. And in Romans 8, you see the story of the Holy Spirit at work in a life. And he says, this is how we overcome. This is how we live a life free from sin. This is how we overcome the things that we couldn't overcome before. Because we are not living by the flesh, but we are living by the Spirit. Therefore, those led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And that Spirit cries out in us. It says we're not slaves to sin. It says we're not slaves to ourselves. But we are free. It cries out. It's a spirit of adoption in which we cry out, Abba, Father. And so Romans 8 tells you how you have the victory by the Holy Spirit. Romans 7 is the battle of who's going to be Lord. And Romans 8 is the answer. Don't ever stop. <laughs> in the middle of the problem, get to the end. You ever start at the beginning of a psalm and it's like, dun, 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 people be mean now, burn, oh, no. 
they're trying to kill me. They go after my body. And you're just like, oh, man, this is the most depressing psalm I ever heard. But if you ever follow it to the end, it always ends in hope. It always ends in praise. And I call that hitchhiking with the psalms. You find, you know, I'm, I'm right here, David. I'm right, I, you know, Asaph, I'm right here with you. But if you're going my way, I'm going to hitch a ride with you because I know you'll end up at a good place. <laughs> And Romans 7 is like it, Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8. And then by the time you get to Romans 9, Romans 10, now you're beginning to see the word of faith that we are preaching. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. So I want you to see this, that there is a freedom to serve the Lord. And in our, to an unregenerate mind, freedom to serve the Lord, they don't go together. Because our culture teaches us freedom is not having to serve anybody. The Bible says, when you thought you weren't serving anybody, you were serving somebody. That's what Bob Dylan said. <laughs> it may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's straight from Scripture. Not straight, but pretty much. <laughs> that's a poetic license there. <laughs> and so here we are as believers joyfully saying Jesus is Lord. And I want you to know you can serve the Lord with gladness. And it doesn't mean that you won't come upon times where it is a fight, but I want you to know that, that the scripture tells us that, remember, James says to the church, or says some who are Christians, some who are not, he addresses some who are not, but he says this, he says, you should, he says, come to the Lord, he says, cleanse your hands, and then he says, resist the devil. Actually, he says first, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so what you first have to do is surrender. You submit to God. Then you resist the devil and the devil runs away. And so trying to resist the devil without submitting to God is you fighting the devil in your own strength. And it's not a battle you can win. But when you're submitted to God, Satan's not fighting you. He's fighting God. That's the life you're meant to live. Every point in your life, is everything in your life is a choice what will I surrender to and what will I resist? And when you truly, freely surrender to the Lord, it is a joyful, glad serving the Lord. And I want you to know that when you do that, he engages your will with his. He's going to be at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. So you can say, by the Spirit, in the Spirit, Jesus is Lord. And you can live in the Spirit, Jesus is Lord. And we can be a church that proclaims Jesus is Lord. And they can look at us and go, he really is Lord. Yes. They don't just say it. Yeah. That must be true. 